Well, good morning to the rest of you that I didn't get to greet while we were doing the little greeting time. That would have taken a lot of time if we'd have done that, wouldn't it? So, good morning to you. We have uh, been learning about this epic story of the kingdom of God. And, you know, I thought it might help if we kind of frame it, you know, modern day. We kind of think of epic stories maybe in terms of maybe some movies that are epic stories or, or maybe staged dramas. We'll see um, how artsy of a crowd we have with us at this 11 o'clock celebration. Uh, can you think of, you know, um, maybe a staged drama of a, of a real epic story, of epic proportion type? You know, there's bunches of them out there. Can you think of one? The Ten Commandments, you know, that epic story. Yes, you know, that's a good one to say in church, isn't it? Uh, how about something else? Anybody think of another one? Ben-Hur. Okay, we're getting all the, bibli- you know, all the biblical time frame epic stories, but those are great ones. What else? Sound of Music. Uh, Gone with the Wind. You got Les Miserables would be a great one. You know, I dreamed, I dreamed. You know, little Susan Boyle there. Yeah, yeah. Um, Phantom of the Opera would be one. I read that uh, when they travel with Phantom of the Opera, they have 19 tractor trailers full of uh, props and costumes. It takes that many to, to tell this grand, epic story. I mean, there, there's several of them that, that you could probably... But, but what we have been learning is that the most epic of all stories is this story of the kingdom of God. And it begins back... At the beginning of time, with creation. Now, the story was going on before that because God is timeless. But time begins here at creation. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1 tells us that in the beginning, the beginning of time, God created the heaven and the earth. And and when he did, everything was perfect and God reigns over his perfect creation. Not only people, Adam and Eve, those were the only people there as the story unfolds there at the start, but, but all of his creation, it's perfect and he reigns over it. But not very far into this story, in fact, just a few chapters, Genesis chapter 3, there's a huge plot shift, isn't there? Sin enters into the picture. Now, you need to understand that this wasn't a surprise to God, but it is a huge plot shift. You know, in, in Star Wars, when, when Luke finds out that Darth Vader is his father, it's not like George Lucas is over there going, my goodness, I didn't see that one coming, you know, I mean. <laughs> but, but it's this huge plot shift in this story. Mankind rejects God's reign and now instead sin and death reign and the world is broken right we understand that we're broken ourselves we live we're living out the brokenness that goes way back to this part of the story and so the rest of the old testament is about god setting in place to do two things to redeem his creation, and to reign again. You have to understand that, or you're going to read the Old Testament as just a bunch of moralistic stories. But when you understand that that what this is, it's the unfolding of this story, as God sets in place 
the things to be able to redeem his creation and to reign again. That's why in the Old Testament there's all these pictures of Jesus pointing forward to the fact that he is the one who will come and redeem and to set the place to make it right for God to reign again. You know, uh, that's why there's all these redemptive stories in the Old Testament. All these pictures pointing forward to that event. Way back here, still in Genesis, remember Abraham and Isaac. God tells Abraham to take his son, his precious son, the pride and joy of his life, and to offer him as a sacrifice to him. And it takes it right up to the point that Abraham, out of obedience, does so. And he has the knife in his hand and he's up here. And God stops him and tells him that instead he has provided a substitute that would be the sacrifice in place of his precious son. He's provided a lamb who would be the sacrifice instead. It's a picture looking forward to the redeeming work of Jesus. You see it in the Passover, the most famous of the Old Testament stories. Um, God's people are slaves in Egypt, and God sends in Charlton Heston to rescue them. Well, he played Moses in the movie anyway. And, and Moses comes, and he tells Pharaoh to let God's people go, and, and he refuses. And so God sends plague after plague after plague, and then finally the the top of them all, he sends the death angel to kill the firstborn of everyone in all of Egypt. But he tells his people that if you will take a lamb and you'll kill that lamb and you'll, you'll dip in, that, in, in the blood of that lamb and paste it above the door frames of your house, then the, the death angel will pass over you. The blood of that lamb will serve as the substitute that will keep your firstborns from dying. It was a picture to the coming one who would shed his blood to make possible for us not to face the consequences of death. Eternal death. You see it in the whole, the, the entire sacrificial system of, of the Old Testament, don't you? Thousands and thousands and thousands of innocent animals give their life in sacrifice for sin. Now, you understand, don't you, that nobody's sin was forgiven because of the death of some animal, or we would still be doing it. But it was a picture. It was pointing forward to the Lamb of God the true sacrifice that would come and give his life as the atonement, as the price to pay for our sin. And so, from this point forward, sin and death are reigning. But God is setting in place the things for him to be able to redeem his creation and to reign again. And so, Jesus shows up as the story advances. And he does so proclaiming and announcing the kingdom of God. In fact, if you haven't pulled your message notes out, you may want to. And the first verse that I gave you right there, Matthew chapter 1. I'm sorry, Mark chapter 1. Verses 14 and 15, it says this. It says, after John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee 
proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said, the what? The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Repent and believe the gospel, the good news, because the kingdom has come. And so then Jesus gives his life on the cross. He dies as the redeeming sacrifice to defeat sin, the perfect sacrifice that would pay the price for sin, that would defeat sin. And then three days later, he rises from the grave, defeating death, so that instead of sin and death reigning, he reestablishes God's right to reign again. It says so in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 54 to 57. It says this, it says, When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O oh, death, is your victory? Where, O oh, death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So that now, instead of sin and death reigning, God establishes his right to reign again. In fact, what do you suppose it is that Jesus talks about with his followers in those days between his rising from the dead and his ascension back into heaven. Well, you don't have to suppose. It tells us. Acts chapter 1 verse 3. It says that after his suffering, he presented himself to them and he gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. And he appeared to them over a period of 40 days and he spoke about what? The kingdom of God. God's right, God's reestablished right to reign again, defeating sin and death. Well, maybe some of you are thinking, well, well wait a second, hold, hold on just a second. If, if sin and death have been defeated, then how come sin's been eating my lunch all week? And how come people are still dying? Well, it's because we're not at the end of the story yet, are we? There's more in this epic story to come. Because we know that yet in the future of this story, there is going to come a day when Jesus will return. And when he does, the Bible tells us that he will then put everything under his feet. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, earlier in that chapter, starting in verse 24, it says, it says, then the end will come when he hands over the kingdom to God the Father after he has destroyed all, that's a big word, all dominion, authority, and power. For he must reign until he has put all of his enemies under his feet. And then the last of those enemies to be destroyed is death. For he has put everything under his feet. There's part of the story yet to come that's still in our future. 
When Jesus will come and he will put everything, including sin and death, completely, totally under his feet. And so that means there's going to come a day when people won't die anymore. But in the meanwhile, in this part of the story, people are still dying, right? But if you have been redeemed by the blood of Christ, you don't have to fear death anymore. In fact, when death comes to those who are saints, those who know Jesus as Savior and Lord, there's sadness because we'll miss them, but we know they're in a better place. And when it comes to each of us, we know that to be absent from this body is to be present with the Lord. Death is no longer feared if you have been redeemed. There's going to come a day when sin will be put under Jesus' feet. There won't be sin anymore. And more importantly, there won't be the consequences of sin anymore. Aren't you looking forward to that day? But in the meanwhile, for this part of the story that we live in, <laughs> there's still sin. But if you have been redeemed, if you are in Christ, you don't have to be controlled by sin anymore. It has no power over you. It has already been defeated on the cross. And so we live at this point in the story, somewhere in here, between the redeeming work of Christ, the announcing of the kingdom, the reestablishing of God's right to reign over his creation, and the final return of Christ. And we don't know how far that is. That might be today. It might be thousands of years yet in the future. But we're living somewhere in here. So what does that mean for us? What are the implications then of the kingdom of God for those of us who are in Christ, who are living at this part of the story. Well, I want to give you two. But my first implication has three points, so maybe I'm giving you four. I don't know. You can decide on your own. These are some implications that I think apply to us. Those of us who know Jesus as our Savior and Lord. Those of us who have embraced the gospel. Those of us who are living at this point. See, see, we're not watching a movie. We're not seeing a play. We're in this grand epic story of the kingdom of God. Isn't that right? And so what are the implications for those of us who are living in the, this part of the story? Here's the first one. It's that we are to be living in kingdom of God realities right now. Right now. We're in the story, and the kingdom has been proclaimed and announced, and we are to be living in those realities right now. Well, let me give you a few. Here's the first one. I think it has to do with identity. That if we are in Christ, our identity is based upon who we are in Jesus. We live in a world with people who spend most of their time trying to carve out who they are, what their significance is based on, what their security rests in, who they are based upon finding their identity. And they look for it in their looks. 
They look for it in their achievements. They look for it in their talents. They look for it in their prestige. They look for it in the amount of friends they have or the amount of money they have or the amount of power they get or any number of things. But listen to me, friends. If you know Jesus, if you are in Christ, your identity rests squarely in the fact that you are a blood-bought, redeemed child of God. And we don't need... We don't need to spend our life looking for our identity and all of those other things. It's already been secured based upon what Jesus did and nothing we do. We need to live out of that reality right now. Here's the second one. It has to do with power over sin. Romans chapter 8 says this, the first couple of verses, Therefore... There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I'll come back to that in just a minute. But verse 2 says, Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. Sin and death have been defeated. Sin has no power over you if you're in Christ. You say, it sure doesn't seem like it. It's because of this. It's because we give sin power over us. We let it take control in our lives. But here's the reality that we need to be living in. We don't have to. It's all already been done. Everything has already taken place on the cross that frees us from that power. So why do we keep putting ourselves back under it? And we need... To live out of the power of who we are in Christ and the freedom and the victory of who we are in Christ rather than letting sin take reign over us. Now how do we do that? Well, it really is as simple as resting in what's already been done for us, but it's not simplistic. <laughs> the difficulty comes is that sin's tricky. It's deceptive, isn't it? And for many of us, it means taking steps in order to live out of that power that's rightfully ours because of who we are in Christ. For some of us, it might mean going on a freedom encounter type weekend like we do some around here. What we do on those weekends is we lay claim of the freedom that's rightfully ours because of who we are in Christ, because of the shed blood of Jesus. Sometimes sin has gained strongholds and and footholds and bondage in our lives because of things we've done or things that other people have done. But you know what? We have been freed from that. And for some of us, it's just learning how to take the steps to renounce those things so that we can live in the freedom that's rightfully ours. For some of us, it might mean going through counseling to learn these lies and these entrapments that we've grabbed hold of so that we can make the choice to set them aside and live out of the freedom of who we are in Christ. For some of us, it's experiencing inner healing prayer. I'm a big believer of that. What happens in inner healing prayer is you start to get hold of the lies that we live out of. But these lies don't have any right for power over us, but we've given them power over us. And we have to get in touch with what those lies are so that we can claim the blood of Jesus that's already been shed to set us free from those things. 
For some of us, it might mean putting ourselves in better accountability situations so that we can make wise choices instead of choices that lead us back into bondage. For some of us, it might mean getting into community. Some of you need to be in a small group, but I would say some of you that are in a small group need to not only get your body into a small group, you need to get your soul into a small group. You can be in a small group all day long and have nice little Bible studies where you talk about all little things and you never talk about the entrapments and the real things that's going on in your life. There's no, you don't get freedom unless you're dealing with that so that you can claim the power of the shed blood of Jesus over those things and live in the reality of the freedom that's rightfully ours in Christ. And so we need to just live out the realities of the power over sin that is rightfully ours because of the shed blood of Jesus. That's a kingdom implication, a kingdom reality that we need to be living in right now. Here's one more I'll give you. Is I think it's the aspect of truly embracing our continual, maybe it would be better to say continually embracing grace instead of religion. Now let me define my terms. Religion is this. Religion is this belief that I'm going to do these things, whatever they are, and by doing them or by not doing them, I'm going to earn favor with that deity. Whatever that deity might be. If I do these things or I don't do these things, then I earn favor with that deity. Here's the problem. <clears throat> a lot of Christians live Christianity as if it were a religion. And what we do is we go about doing things and struggling to do things or struggling not to do things, thinking that by doing that, we're going to gain favor with God. Here's the truth, friends. Nothing you can do or nothing you cannot do will earn you any favor with God. At best, see, God is holy. And at best, at my best, when I'm on my game, at my best, all I can do is just make myself a little less unholy than the next guy. And I'm still woefully short of pleasing a holy God. But the reality of the gospel, the reality of the cross, is that I have favor with God if I'm in Christ all because of what Jesus did and nothing because of what I do or don't do. And when we learn to live out of that reality, not living to get favor with God, but living out of the reality of the favor that I already have with God, it totally changes things, doesn't it? The truth of that gets down from my head and begins saturating my heart. That's why we say we've got to preach the gospel to ourselves every day because we keep defaulting back to religion, don't we? Oh, yeah, i got to do this to please God. i got to struggle with that. No, no, it's, it's getting this reality, preaching this reality to me. No, I don't live to try to somehow get God's favor. I live out of the reality that I already have it because of the shed blood of Jesus over my sin. You say, so, so you just get saved and you just do anything you want then? God doesn't care? For crying out loud, no, read your Bible. That's not what it says. <laughs> but it's all the difference in the world when we're living in a way somehow thinking we're earning God's favor as opposed to living out of the reality of the favor we already have. 
We're to live out of grace, not religion. That's a kingdom reality that we need to be living in right now. Uh, Romans chapter 8, verse 1, the verse that I said just a minute ago that I come back to. Paul says, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. No shame. Because it's all under the blood of Jesus if we're in Christ Jesus. I love how Jesus, in the, in the Gospels, in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, those books that, that show his interaction with people, how Jesus had this masterful way of calling people to a higher standard and yet meeting them right in the midst of their miserable failures of those standards, right in the middle, without any shame, without any condemnation. And somehow if we could begin to grasp that, that it's not about performing better or it's not about achieving more or it's not about struggling better, it's about coming to God with, with no sense of condemnation, with no sense of shame and out of love, Seeking his pleasure of, of obeying him because I understand the favor that I have with God as a blood-bought, redeemed child of his. That's a kingdom reality. We need to be living in right now. That's the first implication. And here's the second implication is this. I think we're to be difference makers in our culture for the sake of advancing the kingdom. We're to be difference makers for the sake of advancing the kingdom. Jesus taught his followers to pray this way, Matthew chapter 6. He says, this then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus said, pray this way. He said, God, help me to help make down here as much like up there as I can. Help me use me to be a difference maker in my world, in my culture, for the sake of the kingdom of God. Help me extend your rule and reign down here just like it is in heaven. For the sake of your kingdom. See, somewhere along the way, I kind of absorbed this wrong way of thinking. I don't think I was ever taught it. I think I just kind of absorbed it. And it was kind of this. It was kind of like, well... The kingdom, that was the stuff that was down here. It's all this stuff that was going to happen, and the kingdom was down here. But, but for me, in this part of the story, my role was just sort of to kind of hang on till Jesus came and made all of that happen. And I think I missed, I think many of us, because we maybe picked that kind of thinking up, missed thinking like Christians have thought throughout the last 2,000 years. That's not the way Christians have thought for the last 2,000 years. Christians have not thought, oh no. In fact, sometimes I hear Christians talk and they're, kind of, they're almost kind of applaud. 
the world's getting so bad and, and sin is taking over. Isn't this exciting? Jesus is coming soon. And that's not the way Christians have thought for the last 2,000 years. In fact, the way Christians have thought for the last 2,000 years is this. No, sin and death have been defeated. And yet we still live in this broken world where there's the consequences of sin and death. But because sin and death has been defeated, my role as a kingdom person is someone who's trying to extend the rule and reign of God, is to push back against those consequences because of the kingdom. To be a difference maker for the rule and reign of God because of the kingdom of God. We need to be living in that. Christians in the first century were difference makers. When you had children in the first century in the Roman Empire, you, if you didn't want them, you just left them out by the road to die. And particularly girls were left by the road to die. And, and Christians, th those girls would, either, be, would either, either die there or the girls would be picked up by brothel owners and raised so that they could work their sex trade operation. And Christians decided, no, we're going to step into that. We're going to make a difference and we're going to start rescuing these babies so that, that they can be daughters and sons in our households and we're going to raise them to know and love Jesus and serve the kingdom instead of serving the devil. They were difference makers. When plagues that were rampant throughout the first century, and others were running away from the troubles. It was Christians who said, no, we're going to go in and we're going to risk the dangers for the sake of extending the kingdom reign and pushing back against these consequences of sin and death to help people because of the kingdom. And throughout history, Christians have chosen to be difference makers because of where we find ourselves in the story. You take, you, you take any aspect... And Christians throughout history have been on the front end of making a difference for the advancement of things. Take women's rights. Christians throughout history have been on the front end of that. Everywhere that Christianity has been involved, the, 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 the equality of women and the rights of women have been lifted. You contrast that to this modern day even in Islamic cultures. Are women's rights and equality lifted up? No. But see, it's been Christians who throughout history have said, no, women are equal, co-created in God's image with men. We need to uphold and uplift their rights. You take the, the abolition the abolitionist movements in, in, uh, against slavery, it's been Christians who've been on the front end of that, who said, you know, all men are created equal. It's not because of the color of someone's skin or because of where they were born. All people are created in God's image. You take the care of people in need. It's been Christians who've stepped into those situations and shown compassion for the poor and disadvantaged. It's been Christians who've been on the front end of those movements. You even take health care in our country. Why do you think most of the hospitals, or so many of the hospitals, have Saint so-and-so in front of them? It's because it's been Christians who've been on the front end of those kinds of efforts. You take education. It's been Christians who've traditionally been on the front end of being difference makers in that. Every university, uh, going back from the front end of the early universities in America, except for the University of Pennsylvania, had its beginnings with Christians. Who said, no, we're going to be on the front end of, of making a difference in our culture in this area. Take any area. Fair labor practices, liberty and justice and fairness issues. You take science. 
Throughout history, it's been Christians who've been on the front end making a difference in science. You name the category. Physiology and biology, astronomy, physics, chemistry, medicine. You name it. The names that you associate with the early advances in those categories have been believers, followers of Jesus Christ. In art, in architecture, in music, you name it. Throughout the last 2,000 years, Christians have been on the front end as kingdom people who said, you know what, we need to make a difference in our culture because we're believers in Jesus Christ. But somehow in our day, what the majority of Christians do is we sit in our churches and we criticize how sinful and bad the culture is. And then we just hold on until Jesus comes and rescues us out of it. And that is so foreign to the way Christians have thought for the last 2,000 years. Christians who have said, no, because of the kingdom of God, it is our responsibility to step into the culture, to step into our world, and to make a difference For the rule and reign of God down on this earth just like it is in heaven where it's absolute. That's our role. That's our responsibility to be difference makers. There's a great book on this subject that's back in our bookstore if you're interested in it and you're a reader. And it's a big thick book so it's not for all of us. But it's by Alvin Schmidt called How Christianity Changed the World. But somehow we've got to change our perspective as kingdom people. To determine to be people who are going to step in. Not to withdraw from culture. But to step into culture and step into the world. Not because we're going to bring about the kingdom. No. My hope is still in the return of Jesus. That's the blessed hope. But because of the kingdom. Because I am a blood-bought, redeemed child of God. My role is to be a difference maker in the world around me. For the sake of the kingdom of God. It's a kingdom implication. Well, how long have I gone? Okay. Um, Let me wrap this thing up. So what are are the applications of this? Well, let 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 me give you three. I think the first application is this. Are you in the kingdom? Have you bowed your knee to Jesus as Savior and Lord and King of your life? Have you truly embraced the gospel for yourself? Now, I'm not asking, did you pray a little prayer somewhere along the way? I'm not asking if you've um, had a salvation experience. Here's what I'm asking. Have you bowed your knee to Jesus? Have you said, Jesus, because of the basis of what you did on the cross, I surrender to you everything. See, it's all together. See, it's so easy, friends, to come and to sing songs about the kingdom and God's reign and then to leave this place and all week long make every decision based upon me being the king of everything. That's not truly embracing the gospel, is it? Have you come to that place in your life where you have made Jesus Savior and Lord and King 
over you? Are you in the kingdom of God? There's a second application. If you've done that, and chances are probably most of us in this room have. Are you living in the realities, in the kingdom realities of who you are in Christ? Is your identity squarely based upon that? Or are you looking to all this other stuff to, to find significance and security? Are, are, are you living out of the sense of trying to somehow gain God's favor instead of, learning, instead of living out of the favor that's already yours in Christ? Are you living with this sense of just knowing I have power over sin. It doesn't have to have control over me. And I'm living in, that, in the victory and the freedom that's rightfully mine. I'm not talking about perfection. I'm talking about just living our lives out of the, rea the kingdom reality. That sin has no power over me. Unless I let it. Are you living in that? In those kingdom realities? And then lastly, what are you doing to make a difference for the sake of advancing the kingdom? You say, some of you, well, I mean, I'm no great shakes. I'm, I'm nobody important. I mean, what am I going to do? Well, you do what you can. You do what you have the opportunity to do for the sake of the kingdom. You pray. I mean, I bet there's many of us who spent much of the last week griping about who's in office and I wonder how much time we've spent praying about and for those people who are in office. You pray, you speak up where you can, you use the influence that you have. Different ones of us have different levels of influence but even if you think you have no influence, you have influence over some. You speak up for the cause and the kingdom of Christ where you can. And then you step into the opportunities that God gives you. They may be little opportunities. Maybe that means you buy some soap or write some phone numbers on soap like some of you heard at the, at the women's event as a way of helping some girls escape the sex trafficking industry. Or you make sandwiches that can be distributed to people who are homeless. Or you go down and you hand out or you go into those camps or you take advantage of those opportunities. Or you help build a Yellow House in Costa Rica. Or you give money, our efforts towards uh, pushing back the consequences of poverty, which are consequences of sin and death that have been defeated. You, you, you step into those opportunities where maybe places where poverty abounds, where people die just because there's no clean drinking water. Or maybe you support a child in Uganda. I don't know what it is. I'm not the Holy Spirit. I, I don't know what it is for you. But here's what I know. You don't sit on your rear end waiting for Jesus to come. You decide because of the kingdom of God to be a difference maker where you can because Jesus is king. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together.